On the telephone is Emmy and Grammy-winning director John Scheinfeld. The name of the documentary that he directed is What the Hell Happened to Blood, Sweat, and Tears? Hey, John. How are you, Steve? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. Thank you. And, you know, here, here they are, this huge, popular pop and rock group of the 1970s. And you'd think going to Eastern Europe, which at the time was absolutely unheard of. I don't think that a rock band, and you can tell me, had ever gone behind the curtain. That's correct. They were the first American rock band to perform behind the Iron Curtain, and they went over in the summer of 1970 uh, to what was then Yugoslavia, uh, Romania, and Poland. Uh, It was a tour sponsored by the State Department. Uh, It was a relatively successful tour as far as the concerts went, except for a minor riot in Bucharest, Romania, which we can talk about if you like. Uh, But it was what happened to them when they came home. It's a very much a Shakespearean kind of tragedy where they were forced into doing something that they thought would save the band, but in doing so, they ended up killing it. All right, I want to stop there and back up just a little bit. Then I promise we will get back to the rest of the story. Clive Davis, the legendary uh, record producer, said, I, I think it was Columbia, and said, I'm signing this group. And he said, they weren't fitting into anything. They were leading the way to everything. Can you talk about how this rock and roll group called Blood, Sweat, and Tears was so different? They, they had created a sound, Steve, that was very innovative. They were the first to blend jazz with rock and roll. It was the There had been horns in rock before the Beatles had used horns and Motown had used horns, but it was the way they used them with the type of songs that they selected for their band to perform. And it was this vibrant, exciting... Uh, um, upbeat sound that involved, uh, it was largely horn-driven, uh, and they led the way for groups like Chicago and Ides of March and Chase and other bands that followed. Uh, but their sound was so unique and fresh at the time um, that uh, Clive had come to see them at a, a club in Greenwich Village in New York and was so blown away that he signed them on the spot. Yeah, when does that ever happen? Actually, it has before, because uh, I think that's how he signed Whitney Houston as well, just like right there on the spot. So here's this group that is tremendously successful, but I'm saying that some people may not remember. So talk about how successful they were. They put out an album at the end of 1968 called Blood, Sweat, and Tears. It was actually the second album that the band put out. The first one had come up a year before with a different lineup and a different lead singer. Well, I'm stopping you there because I think that was sure. interesting, and I never knew about that. Uh, ah. so, yeah, so the band talk that Clive had, had signed was led by a musician, singer-songwriter named Al Cooper. Who? Uh, Al Cooper. But I think he, me saying who is just the point. <laughs> he uh, had come out of a New York band called The Blues Project and uh, had written some songs. Uh, he wrote a song for Gary Lewis and the Playboys called uh, This Diamond Ring, I remember. which was uh, somewhat successful. Uh, and he wanted to uh, do a band with horns, and he came up with this idea for the sound, as we discussed. 
And he put the band together. They did an album called Child is Father to the Man, which was a sort of FM underground cult favorite that didn't sell a lot of albums at the time. And Al ended up leaving the band, as a couple of the other members did, and they brought in some new musicians and a new lead singer by the name of David Clayton Thomas, who was a Canadian. And they record this album um, uh, called Blood, Sweat, and Tears. It came out at the very end of 1968, and shortly into 1969, it exploded uh, up the charts. It became the number one album for many, many weeks, and eventually got a Grammy for uh, uh, Album of the Year, beating out a small British band that you may have heard of um, called The Beatles (laughs) and Abbey Road. Yeah, I mean, that's... That is astounding. I think there were three singles on that album or LP. Three singles, three, uh, as Clive Davis said, memorable, distinctive singles. They had Spinning Wheel, What Goes Up Must Come Down, uh, You Made Me So Very Happy, and When I Die, and uh, had minor hits with More and More and uh, God Bless the Child, all off that same album. And they were in demand for TV appearances, for concerts, and they really were one of the biggest bands uh, in the land at that time. And in demand for Woodstock. Now, I didn't know until I saw your documentary, which, by the way, I should have said this. Your host is guilty. The documentary is coming to Chicago May 16th. It'll be at the Music Box Theater, which is at 3733 North uh Southport. So it's right near, it's not far from Wrigley Field. Uh, And that again is on May 16th. Are you going to be there for that? Uh, I am. I'm coming in. I haven't been in in Chicago. I was born in Chicago and have a a passion for Chicago, but have not been back for a few years. Uh, I will be back and uh, I will be introducing the film and doing a a question and answer afterward. Excellent. Uh, And uh, I'm sure you can go to the Music Box Theater website, May 16th at the Music Box Theater, which, if you don't know, is a great place to see a movie, especially a classic movie or a documentary such as this. So what I didn't know until I, because I I saw a preview of the documentary, is I had no idea. Blood, Sweat, and Tears, they were, they were, they were at Woodstock. But you wouldn't know it, would you? You wouldn't. Uh, They were one of the headliners. And uh, as with uh, a number of other bands at Woodstock, um, they were not in the movie and they were not on the soundtrack album. And uh, what had happened was Blood, Sweat, and Tears uh, was one of the first bands booked for Woodstock because they were so popular at the time. They come in and they uh, start to do their set. And backstage, uh, their manager at the time uh, was having a a conversation with the uh, promoters of Woodstock who had organized the festival. And it turns out that because the gates had been knocked down, the fences had been knocked down, and everybody was just there uh, watching the music and hadn't paid for their tickets, there was no money to pay the bands. Some of these bands. And so Blood, Sweat, and Tears said, well, you know, if you're not going to pay us, uh, uh, we're not going to uh, allow you to film the set for the movie. And after a few songs, uh, they shut off uh, the cameras, and uh, they were not in the, in, in the classic documentary made about the festival, nor were they on the soundtrack album. But they were there. They did shoot a couple of songs, and we found uh, several clips buried in the vault at Warner Brothers out here in California. And so we do have a clip of Blood, Sweat, and Tears performing at Woodstock that no one has ever seen before. No one. In fact, you have several, lots of clips in this documentary that no one has ever seen before. So I have a couple of questions here via text. 
Uh, one of them, I love Blood and Sweat and Tears. I saw a concert in Chicago many, many years ago. A shout out to Blood, Sweat and Tears. First live concert I went to in 1969 at the University of Notre Dame's uh, Convocation Center. It was fabulous. I still remember the concert. Ah, how nice. That's great. What is the name of the documentary? So the documentary is, I'll let you say it. Thank you, Steve. What the hell happened to Blood, Sweat, and Tears? Which actually was the question that I asked the leader of the band, Bobby Columbi, who was co-founder with Al Cooper and the original drummer for the band, and and he became the leader of the band when Al left. Uh, Bobby uh, had asked me to lunch shortly before COVID hit and said, uh, I have a story I want to tell you. And I'm telling him how much I love the band. And I literally said to him, what the hell happened to Blood, Sweat, and Tears? Here you were in 1970, one of the biggest bands going, and then you weren't. What happened? And that's the story he told me, and that's the story that we tell in this documentary. John Scheinfeld is on the phone. John, lots of text. One says, Clive Davis, Steve, was a music executive, not a producer, which is what I apparently said. And Lighthouse in Toronto and Love in L.A. had horns before Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Get a better host. I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually, I think uh, your your listener is incorrect about uh, Lighthouse, but uh, uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter, but not incorrect about Clive Davis, who, of course, has been a music executive for a very long time. So this we, we left off the story with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. You mentioned David Clayton Thomas being from Canada, and that is relevant to how all of this began to unravel. Can you explain? David had begun to have some immigration problems. Uh, we believe, based on the evidence that we found in declassified documents, uh, government documents, that somebody in the government was displeased with his comments about the Vietnam War and his anti-President Nixon uh, comments, and uh, they decided they were going to try to have him deported. And, in fact, that was going to happen. And so here you have one of the biggest bands going, and they would not be able to tour or record in the United States with their lead singer. That's a problem. And uh, so uh, what ended up happening, and uh, your uh, listeners will be able to get all the details uh, uh, if they come to see our film, is that a quid pro quo was arranged, whereby if Blood, Sweat, and Tears did this tour on behalf of the United States State Department, David's immigration problems would go away. And that's, in fact, what happened. But there was much uh, blowback that came as a result of that. All right, so they do the tour. The tour is successful, at least for a time, and then they hit Romania, I think it was, where, yeah, they were even more successful than they would bargain for, but that caused a problem. It really did. Um, you know, we we hear comments today from, from people who praise uh, Vladimir Putin and, and Russia, and I think what, what they don't understand is what it is like to live under a dictator in a repressive society. And that's what Blood, Sweat, and Tears experienced uh, when they went into Romania. They had a, a dictator there that uh, ruled with an iron fist. People could not speak out freely, could not go places freely. Uh, relatives would inform on other relatives and friends. It was a, a really horrible place to be. And the young people there yearned for freedom, but didn't have it. 
And, and when this American rock band is coming in to their country, it represents exactly that thing that they've been yearning for. The band goes up on stage, and they had never heard music like this before because rock and roll was banned in these communist countries. So Blood, Sweat, and Tears gives this uh, enormously successful concert. The audience goes crazy um, with excitement. And as the government then uh, tells Blood, Sweat, and Tears, uh, you were entirely too successful. You're going to have to tone everything down for the second night's performance. And uh, as we see in our film, we show what happened after that second performance. All right. So what happened after that second performance is the government did ask them to tone it down. As David Clayton Thomas says, one example, uh, he did this thing with a symbol uh, before one of the songs that he would perform. And it was just no big deal with stage stuff. It was what rock and roll groups do. But government there didn't like it. And David Clayton Thomas chose a finger, but presented that sort of speak. Is that right? Yeah, uh, David and the rest of the band ended up being very defiant. Uh, they've been given the, uh, it was called the Bucharest Manifesto, which was a list of 12 things that they had to adhere to if they expected to perform the second night in Bucharest. And they were just defiant and said, nope, we're going to do the same show we did the night before. And that's what they did. And the kids were equally excited. And uh, the government brought out dogs and other uh, uh, policemen and soldiers and everything to, to calm the crowd down. And it became a bit of a riot. In fact, the New York Times said, riot in Romania for rock and roll. And uh, so it was a, an uncomfortable night. Mm-hmm. All right. So the, the, the band eventually comes home after this tour. David Clayton Thomas is certainly now with the band. No problem there, but there was... Another problem, both from the traditional fans of Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and also from those who would suggest that they felt very differently about uh, they were supporters of President Nixon and what the government was doing, and Blood, Sweat, and Tears ended up being in the middle of all this. I think, you know, Steve, what we show in the film is that there were there are many similarities between America in 1970 and uh, America in 2023. Mm -hmm. uh, amongst the many similarities are just how polarized we, we were as a country, right and left, red and blue, uh, east and west. Um, and and blood, sweat, and tears came home. And, and usually if someone's going to criticize you, like today, for example, you're either criticized from the right or from the left. They ended up being criticized from both sides, which made their situation uh, extremely unique, uh, both then and now. And, you know, um, bands have a moment. Movies have a moment. Movie stars have a moment where everything is going great for them. The reviews are great. People want to see them, want to hear them. Everything's going just beautifully. And then any little thing might throw that off, and suddenly the moment is gone. And that's what happened to Blood, Sweat, and Tears when they came home. All of the great press, all of the attention that they had suddenly was diminished. And while they did continue to record and they did continue to perform, it was never quite the same. Yeah, and all of that, including interviews with all the band members, uh, have they ever performed, uh, uh, you know, all these groups are out on their oldies tours. Uh, are they still out there at all? I've not seen them. There actually has been a uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears out performing um, since 1977. 
With, with None of the original members are in the band, oh. except for... Uh, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> what happened was, is uh, the band continued, but the, but it, it really fractured uh, this original group of nine guys that did the tour huh. and did that fantastic second album. And they slowly started to leave the band, re- were replaced by other musicians. They did other albums that came out for a number of years. Uh, from 1977 to about 2004, David Clayton Thomas led a version of the band, although it had none of the other original members. Mm. And then he left, and uh, it, they had been out there performing in small uh, clubs and performing arts centers and casinos and things, doing... Um, uh, some of their great hits, and then songs in a similar style. So they are still out there. Um, but what we talk about is that the classic band that had the hits, yeah. uh, that was the one that experienced the problems and ultimately splintered and went their separate ways. It's called What the Hell Happened to Blood, Sweat, and Tears, director John Seinfeld. Uh, we will see you May 16th at the Music Box Theater, 3733 North Southport, not far from Wrigley Field, Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me.